I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 28. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have this continued opportunity to worship you. We want to worship you as we open your word. We want to recognize the truth of your word, the power of your word, the glory of what you have said, and the call, the call that you have placed upon us by your word. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to see what the call is and respond in accordance with your will. And I pray, we pray, Father, please, that you would mold us and make us that we might be effective ministers of your word for your glory and for the salvation of souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Journalists, talking heads, and other sports commentators make predictions and proclamations all the time. It's their job. Before a sports season starts, they want to tell you what will happen. Here's one from 2011. The Boston Herald had this. The best team ever. They had just, uh, I think, attained Adrian Gonzalez via trade and signed Carl Crawford to the team to add to Clay Buckholes and John Lester and I think John Lackey and some others. It was a good team. And the expectations were great. And the proclamation was, best team ever. Someone others, if, if you are a sports follower, and particularly a, a Boston Red Sox follower, you might remember the 2011 season with another phraseology, fried chicken and beer. <laughs> I don't know if you know, know what that means, but that's apparently what was going on in the dugout or, or in the clubhouse during some of the games as the season went along. On September 29th, 2011, the same publication, the Boston Herald, had this headline. That's a wrap. Best team ever suffers worst collapse ever. The first sentence of that article, it was a brief article, it has been a slow month-long march to baseball's version of death, elimination from playoff contention for the Red Sox. Just a little later in the article, the, the writer says, on September 1st, the Red Sox led the Rays by nine games in the wild card standings. But they went 7-20 and 20 this month and failed to win back-to-back games after a doubleheader sweep on August 27th at Fenway Park. That, that last part wasn't the main idea, but here's this. Ready? No team has ever missed the postseason after having such a large lead in September. Best team ever. That's what we want to call it. Last year, leading into the NFL season, there were some that were predicting that the Patriots would go undefeated they lost their first game and their last game and a couple of games in between. While predictions from men uh, about sporting events is an inexact science, when God proclaims something will happen, we can be sure of it. We can be convinced. The kingdom parables Jesus told, particularly in Matthew and Mark, assure us of the success of the gospel. 
assures us of the success of the gospel and God's glorious plan for redeeming a people for himself. Here we are in Matthew 28. And we have our marching orders. But before we even consider our marching orders, we have to understand that what we're being called to do has a surety of perfect completion. It is not dependent upon our meager efforts, but upon God's glorious, sovereign power and purpose. So we're in Matthew 28. Take a look, please, with me at verses 18 through 20. This passage is familiar to many of us where it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus tells His disciples as a means of making disciples that you must be going. You must be going. In order to make disciples because of the authority that Jesus Himself possesses and He is commissioning them, go in that authority. Go as part of making disciples. Disciples. In verse 18, we go under His authority. In verse 20, we go with His presence. Do you see that? Verse 18, we have His authority. His authority. Go therefore, based upon that authority. So we go under His authority. And we don't go alone. We go with His presence. He says at the end of verse 20, "...and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." In this passage, His presence... And His power are effective until the end of the age. They are effectively with us until the end of the age. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be witnesses unto Me in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So in, in Matthew... His power and presence are with us until the end of the age. In Acts chapter 1, His power and presence are with us everywhere we go to the end of the earth. So the commission that we are given comes with a time and space guarantee of Jesus' active participation. That's good news, folks. That's good news. And as we come to the end of our Bibles and we read passages like Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, we recognize that heaven will be filled with people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So we see that, that glorious forecast of what is to be. It will come to pass. So God calls us. He's commissioned us. He's commissioned His disciples. And via that commission, He has commissioned us. So what we want to notice in our time this morning is four truths about gospel ministry. Four truths about gospel ministry. So our focus from Matthew 28, verse 19, is one word. Go. Go. So that, that's our focus this morning. We're going to look at some other passages 
to inform our consideration of the going, the going in order to make disciples. So first of all, I want you to turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we consider this truth. Gospel ministry is necessary. Gospel ministry is necessary. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul the Apostle is writing to the church of Corinth and he's speaking about his own responsibilities before the Lord because he was commissioned as an apostle and we are commissioned as disciples of Jesus Christ. I think we can we can feel the application of Paul's the necessity upon Paul. We should feel that necessity upon ourselves. If we don't feel that necessity upon ourselves, I think we misunderstand why we have been snatched out of the fire. We've been snatched out of the fire for a reason. If God solely wanted to save us and make us perfect, He would have snatched us and brought us straight to heaven. Instead, we twist in the wind for a while. And we see our flaws and our failures and how we're feeble and how we are weak and how we we fail. We see all of this in, in time and space until the final redemption of our soul. But in the meantime, as God is working in us and and bringing forth the image of Christ in us, He intends for us not only to be drawing near to Him and enjoying His peace and enjoying His joy and becoming uh, long-suffering, He intends for us to be witnesses. He intends for us to go with the Gospel. Now, going with the Gospel doesn't mean going to South Africa or South America, or Asia, or Micronesia, or Indonesia, or any of these other places, though that may be a call that God has on your life. Going simply means not staying in your house. Not keeping to yourself. So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Gospel ministry is necessary. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul writes this, For if I preach the Gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, For necessity, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this thing of my own will, I have a reward. But if I do not, uh, but if not of my own will, I am still, what does the rest say? Entrusted with a stewardship. Will you say it with me? Entrusted with a stewardship. One more time. Entrusted with a stewardship responsibility. God has commissioned him. And I'd say, based upon Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, the commission is upon us. We've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is that stewardship? To bring forth, to demonstrate, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is it necessary? Why is it necessary? God is sovereign. God's will will not be thwarted. Why is it necessary to go with the gospel? Listen to Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. Paul wrote to the Roman church, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming? doesn't mean behind a pulpit. Doesn't require a tent for a tent meeting. Doesn't require an auditorium for rental and and bringing people in. The proclamation of the gospel takes place in word and deed. It takes place in our homes. It takes place at 
our workplaces, and it takes place in the marketplace. It takes place at a sporting event, wherever you are. Wherever you are, wherever I am, the goal should always be to represent and to communicate Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. Gospel ministry is necessary. Secondly, gospel ministry is fruitful. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, God's Word says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because, this is why we give thanks, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So you've heard about this hope that's laid up for you. You found out about it in the word of truth, which he then paraphrases or gives another word, the gospel. This gospel, verse 6, has come to you. And indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This is a very clear passage of Scripture, isn't it? It is, the gospel is, bearing fruit and increasing. The New American Standard translates it very similarly, but just adds a word for clarity. It is constantly constantly bearing fruit and increasing. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So when we talk about involving ourselves in gospel ministry, when we talk about the going with the gospel, proclaiming in word and deed the gospel, we know that it's a fruitful endeavor. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of the proclamation of the gospel and He told us that it would bear fruit. And the way He, he summarized it some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. It will bear fruit. It won't bear fruit in every soil, but it will always bear fruit. book of Isaiah 55 speaks about God's Word going forth and prospering, prospering in the thing that God sent it forward for. Gospel ministry is fruitful. It's necessary and it's fruitful. Thirdly, gospel ministry is peacemaking. Peacemaking. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a moment. This is a compelling passage, and we're only going to touch and go here in, in this passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 11 to begin with. Paul lays out this important motivator, I'd say. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing what awaits people, we persuade others. Knowing what the result of sin is, we persuade others. But what we are, verse 11 still, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And he goes on and speaks about some other concepts. Look down at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is, will you say it with me? From God. So this being made a new creation is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Stop right there for a second. 
This comes from God. This being made a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This being a new creation, this comes from God. And what has happened is, through Christ, He reconciled us. That means to take two parties that were at one point against one another, at enmity, in opposition, going in different directions, and bringing them into a relationship of peace. How did God make us at peace with Him? It was through Christ. And when He made us at peace with Him, He did something else in verse 18. He gave us the ministry, the word there is diaconate or deaconship, the ministry, the servitude of reconciliation. So God reconciled us, made us at peace with Him through Christ. He then gave us the servitude of reconciliation. In other words, proclaim reconciliation. Proclaim the way that a person can be made at peace with God. He goes on in verse uh, 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, there's that stewardship concept again, to us the message now, the word of reconciliation. So he's, He's given us this duty, servitude. He's given us this entrustment as a deposit. Here's something of great value. Take this and do something with it. I think that I will hide it. I think I'll bury it. I want it to be safe. I don't want any contamination to come against the Gospel. I'm going to wall myself off from the rest of the world. I don't want to smell like the world. I don't want the world to rub up against me. I don't want anything to do with the world. I'm just going to isolate myself. I will become a monk or a separatist. No. No. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. If I bury it in the dirt and cover it with a napkin, what's going to happen with it? Nothing of value. Oh, but I meditate on my my little treasure all the time. Well, you, you need to. But the meditation is not an end unto itself. We meditate upon that treasure to share that treasure. To see that treasure multiplied. He's committed to us, entrusted to us, the lagos, the word, message of reconciliation. He's given us the opportunity to display in word and deed the very gospel that He has granted to us to reconcile us, to save us from eternal damnation and separation and enmity with God. He's brought us into a perfect union, peace and joy with Him so we might bring others into that same relationship. He's committed to us the lagos. The message of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are. Not we should be. Not you ought to try. No. We are ambassadors for Christ. God. Listen, this is incredible. I, I, this is one of those unfathomable things. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. God championing the Gospel through us. God is appealing to a dying world. The Gospel through us. And here's what He says. Here's another way to say it. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the call that we have, folks. To cry out to a world that's lost 
doesn't know Jesus, that has no peace, that is broken, they're headed for an eternity separate from Jesus. And we say, Jesus has done what's necessary to bring you into a relationship of peace with God. You'll be with him. You can be with him forever. You have to turn, turn, turn from your sin and your way and your resources. Turn to Christ. Embrace him. He has done it all. He's committed us to us the lagos of reconciliation. God has made us his ambassadors. God is pleading through us. And what that sounds like, we implore you, be reconciled to God. For, for, verse 21, our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Gospel ministry is peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. We can't make the peace. We're offering the peace that Jesus has purchased through the death, burial, and resurrection and offering them the righteousness that he purchased through his perfect life. Peacemaking. Gospel ministry is necessary. It's fruitful. It is peacemaking. Finally, gospel ministry is effective. Gospel ministry is effective. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, just taking a left, a couple of chapters. We're going to start reading in verse 14. Paul has just communicated to the Corinthians some details about his travel. He left an open door for the gospel. He left an open door for the gospel because he was not at rest in his spirit because he was supposed to meet Titus and he wanted to hear about what was going on in the ministry. Who leaves an open door for the gospel but someone that trusts the God of the gospel? Only people that leave an open door for the gospel for the sake of ministry is someone that trusts the God of the gospel. Otherwise, they say, well, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. Paul did this time and again. You'll see at least two or three examples of Paul not staying with a particular ministry because there were other needs that needed to be met and he trusted the Lord. This, this, is, this is something we all need to learn from. Not leaving it to do something else, something non-ministry. Well, the ministry will get done. I will watch a baseball game. The ministry will get done. I will go paint a fence. The ministry will get done. I will go do blah, blah, blah. It's not that. It's leaving one element of ministry for a different element of ministry because there was another need. And so he said, okay, Lord, you're going to have to deal with that. That's the context here. Verse 14, he details here a word of thanksgiving to God. Verse 14, but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God, who in Christ or through Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere for we are the aroma of Christ to God well, that's interesting the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who, who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many 
peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He offers this word of thanksgiving by discussing something of who God is and what God has accomplished and what that means about our ministry. He says, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. There's a lot of discussion in the commentaries. Well, does this mean that gospel ministers are sharing in the victory of Christ or they are being led captive as a defeated foe? And I just think, just, let's just use some logic here. What is he saying at the beginning of verse 14? But thanks be to God, we're rejoicing here, who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession. Is Paul a captive or is he a rejoicer? Say he's rejoicing here. I think that's, that's the plain reading of the text. I understand why they deliberate, but we're talking about bringing the gospel places. That's what he is. He's a gospel minister and he's talking to them about his apostolic ministry and he's saying that I want to give thanks to God that He is doing this work, a triumphal work, a victorious work through Christ. This word, triumphant procession, is used only one other time in our, Greek, on our New Testament, and that is in Colossians 2.15, which says this, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So God gloriously has won a victory through Christ and is triumphing over satanic forces. This is the only other time it's used. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is rejoicing in the triumphal procession that he benefits from. Now the, the imagery here is of, of a general. A general coming back from the field having won great victory. He's riding in many times on one of these chariots that have four horses pulling them. So we see these things in antiquity and then some another one of just uh, someone's remake of it. You've got this general coming back. He's got four horses. He's, he's in a chariot and he's victorious, or she in this instance, is victorious. And behind, there are all these people that are involved. The general is leading the charge back to the homeland. And we have people that are in the city. They're, they're pretty excited about the victory. And they're celebrating. And part of the celebration is to burn incense to the gods of the victory. And so the general comes in, and the people are excited, and everyone is celebrating this, this work. The, the people that are behind, the armies, are they captives? Or are they also celebrating? As they come into this celebration, they're thinking, the tour is done, the victory has been won, the gods have given us victory. They're smelling it. It's a sweet smell. To them, it's, I'm home. I'm going back to my wife and kids. My life is no longer on the line. This is a smell of life unto life. But that's not the only people that are in this processional. There are also some captives. They're part of this celebration as well, but differently. They're smelling the smell, but they're smelling it differently. What's going to happen at the end of this party? To, to finish it off, to really ratchet our celebration up another notch, 
The captives will be executed. They're not dumb, folks. They know. They know what this means. The soldiers know what it means, and they're celebrating. The captives know, and they smell the same smell, but it preaches a different message to them. It preaches a message of death, condemnation, and the end. Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. We are, it tells us in verse 15, a pleasing aroma of Christ to God. We are a pleasing aroma. It says it it this way, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. Now, when you smell the sacrifice of Christ, when God smells the sacrifice of Christ, what is it? It's a sweet-smelling aroma. We are that smell because we are in Christ. So he says, we are the pleasing aroma of Christ to God. The aroma has a different smell to those who smell it. We already covered that. And he asks this question. because I, I see the imagery. The imagery is the gospel has an impact. Right? What is the impact? Well, for some, it's, it's a message of life. And they, they cling. They cling to Christ. And they know what the end result is. And so there's this joy of hearing the message of the gospel. And to others, it has a different tune. It's a smell of death. Paul knows this, and he says, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to be this kind of an impactful minister of Christ? How can I make myself this kind of an impactful minister for Christ? Why are we sufficient? Verse 17 gives us a little bit of a tidbit. It says that we are commissioned by God, right in the middle of the verse. We're not peddlers. But we're sincere because we've been commissioned by God. And as we speak, we're speaking in the sight of God and we're speaking about Christ and for Christ. The next chapter, chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, tells us that our sufficiency is not found in us. Our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. And He has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. He has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Well, the work accomplished by our Savior. As ministers of the new covenant, we don't ratify the new covenant. We don't bring about the new covenant. We don't bring forth the blessing of the new covenant. We are beneficiaries of the new covenant. Who is the one who ratifies the new covenant? Jesus Christ. How? By his death, burial, and resurrection. His blood ratified the new covenant. It's the one. It's the power. His blood is what brings forth the forgiveness of sins. His righteousness is what changes us from a a stony heart to a heart of flesh. And so we've been made by God sufficient ministers of a new covenant, which is the work of Christ. This is the commission. Tell others of the victory of Jesus Christ. Tell others of His victory over sin. Tell others of His victory over Satan. Tell others His victory over death. This is the ministry. Tell others that there is forgiveness and peace 
available to them through Jesus Christ. What do they need to do? Repent. Repent of their way. Repent of using their own resources. Repent of their sin and turn. Turn away from these things that will yield death and turn to Christ who yields life. Receive from Him forgiveness. A granting of forgiveness. Receive from Him righteousness. What we need for eternal life. Receive. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Believer, you've been selected. You've been chosen as a member of the championship team. You should operate with confidence that God, through His Holy Spirit, will empower you until the end of the age and wherever you go. I want you to think now for a moment. Into whose life are you currently ministering the gospel? What neighbor, what coworker, what family member, to whom are you ministering the gospel? It can be face to face that is effective and probably most effective. It can be by written word, it can be by typed word. To whom are you ministering the gospel? This is the call. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go therefore, go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To whom are you ministering the gospel? Friend, if you have never experienced true, lasting peace, you can experience it today. Turn. Turn from your own resources. Turn from your own way. Turn from your sin. You can receive today, today, forgiveness and eternal peace through the righteousness God grants to you. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ. All who call upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. We are ambassadors for Christ. God Himself pleading through us, through us, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Jesus has done what's needed. Call upon the name of the Lord. And you'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, You are the only one that can motivate and move us to be the ambassadors You've called us to be. And so we, we beseech You to motivate us. Help us not to sit on our backsides without passion and without a sense of necessity. Help us to realize how fruitful the Gospel is and the result of being made at peace with You. Help us to remember that it is an effective message to accomplish Your purposes. Father, I pray for anyone here in this room, anyone listening, watching. Dear Father, please, would You open their eyes? Would You give them life? May they turn in repentance from their sin to Jesus and receive eternal life. 
We pray this in the all-powerful name of Jesus.